We have two scripture readings before us this morning, and both aren't very long, so you better get there fast. It's going to be gone before you know it. And the first one comes from John's Gospel, the 19th chapter, in verses 25 through 27. And it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Second scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the second chapter, verses 19 and 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And may God bless to our understanding the reading from his word this morning. Amen. Last Sunday, uh, I told a joke about a lawyer and a tax tax accountant, tax agent, and I could have guessed I would hear from someone in the church who falls into one of those categories. And sure enough, Doug Warwick, who uh, generally goes to our early service, he's an accountant, which I guess semi-qualifies as a tax guy, uh, said, I need to make up for last week's humor. So this week, uh, I sent out, when we sent out the one-minute email update, I solicited some thoughts on this week's message, and sure enough, Doug took me up on it. And uh, Doug responded by saying that this, this, these verses we just read, Jesus and his mother and the disciple there on the cross, he said, you know, this is really the first recording of a last will and testament in the Bible. Jesus was providing for a guardian of his only dependent and asset, his mother. Furthermore, Doug tells us that the state got its estate tax via the raffling of Jesus' clothes. It's amazing what you people see in these things. I... I never would have thought that. Leave it to an accountant. When I was a pastor in Philadelphia uh, many years ago, every year the churches in our area would get together for a seven last words of Christ service on Good Friday. And uh, every year it was at a different church. There were seven different pastors from seven different churches that would preach on one of the seven last words of Christ Uh, rotated different churches. Every year, a different pastor would organize the preachers and the songs that would be sung and the prayers. And uh, a a seven last word service lasts from uh, from noontime on Good Friday until 3 p.m. It's three hours long. And it it is held during that time because that's the time we read in the Bible when it was dark over the whole land as Jesus hung on the cross for those three hours. And people come. And they listen to seven sermons on the seven last words of Christ from the cross. 
and these services are still very common on the East Coast and, and a little bit in other places in the country. But every year, I always wondered, now what word am I going to get this year? What's going to be my draw? Because uh, there were ones I thought that were easier to preach than other ones. Uh, but we rotated every year. And the one that I feared getting, the one that I feared every year getting more, oh God, don't let me get this one, is the one today. Woman, here's your son. To the disciple, and here's your mother. I feared getting assigned that word because I just wasn't sure I could come up with 20 minutes worth of stuff to say about that. You know, we preachers, we're supposed to explain the Bible and help, um, help us see its application and meaning for our lives. I mean, good sermons have significance and they speak to us, right? Uh, now, the other words that Jesus speaks from the cross, they preach. You know, Father, forgive them. Boy, forgiveness is always right at the forefront of, of what we think about in our lives. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Hey, I want to know. I want to know about heaven. I want to I know how to be there. Uh, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who hasn't felt that at some time in their life? You can do a lot with those, but woman, your son, here's your mother. I don't know, is that jumping out at you? Any of our Sunday school teachers teach that to our kids to memorize at any time? Do any of you have that embroidered and hanging on your hallway in a nice frame somewhere? Is it a life verse for anybody in the room saying, that's the one I base my life on right there. I got it memorized, tattooed to my forearm. One year, my number was up. And that was the word that I got. And you know what? My number's up again this morning. We're going through the seven last words of Christ from the cross, and we come to this third word as he speaks, as he hangs from the cross, dying. What's this all about? Woman, here's your son, and here's your mother. I suppose one way we can look at it is it shows Jesus was truly human. He had a real family, came from a real family, had family relationships. We know Jesus came from Joseph and Mary. Even people who join us at Christmas know that. Jesus had brothers. We know that one of those brothers was named James. James became a leader in the early church. But if you read the New Testament, I, I got to tell you, Jesus and family is a complicated thing. One time, Jesus' mother and brothers were standing outside of a house where Jesus was teaching, and there were a lot of people listening to him, and someone told Jesus, hey, your family is outside and they, and they want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus, do we have to tell you? And then he points to those seated around him and he says, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father, whoever does God's will, they are my mother and my sisters and my brothers. That's what he said. Another time, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brother and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Well, so much for family values. And then there was the time Jesus' disciple came to him, said he wanted to follow Jesus, but first he wanted to go back and bury his father. 
And Jesus said, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, when Jesus called James and John to be his disciples, the sons of Zebedee, they left their father right there in the boat with the nets and the, and the boats. Jesus didn't seem to care that he was breaking up Zebedee's family business right there. Didn't care. I'm telling you, Jesus and family is complicated stuff. Uh, Will Willimon was the dean of the chapel at Duke University for many years, and he said in his 20 years of serving there, he, would get, he got maybe 10 or 12 anxious calls from parents. And he said, but, but those calls, he never got a call that said, help, I, I sent my son to college and now he has a drinking problem. Help me. Never got that call. Never got this call. He said, help, I, I sent my daughter to, to college and now she's sexually promiscuous. He said he never got that call. He said the 10 or 12 anxious calls that he got were like this. Help, I, I sent my child to Duke University and now... They're a religious fanatic, as in they're going on a two-year mission to Haiti with the Catholics. And, you know, he said, he gives those parents credit. They know enough about Jesus to know that he creates havoc in a family. Maybe Jesus is fulfilling the fifth commandment to honor father and mother. He's caring for his mother. Knowing that she is going to die, he wants to make sure she's taken care of. Is it surprising that Jesus would be concerned with his mother's care at such a time? Here he is hanging on a cross in agony. Surely he has other things on his mind. He is the Son of God in the midst of a profound cosmic moment, saving the world, fulfilling the very thing that God has sent him for. How could he be thinking about something as comparatively small as his mother's well-being? I mean, why not just trust God to take care of the matter? Why be so concerned with something seemingly so mundane and little? You know, but then again, this woman is perhaps his greatest earthly connection. While this is God hanging on the cross, it is also a man who was born of a woman who was raised and cared for by her. She changed his diaper. She fed him and she taught him and they ate meals together and he talked with her and shared his life with this woman. Is it too lowly for Christ to think about how his mother's going to get along? Jesus was not detached from the so-called mundane things of life. Jesus understood. He still understands the need for consistent income, to have a safe place to live, to have health in our families. He cares about whether we sell the house or not, caring for an elderly parent, getting the kids through school. As a human being, he had concerns too. Jesus is showing that all of life is spiritual. And caring for parents and those dear to us is a God-honoring act. He did it. Or maybe John is telling us, you know, just what happened. And there's no real significance to it. Uh, Having spent a year in John, we know he gives details sometimes that don't seem to amount to much. Jesus writing with his finger in the sand. Uh, He tells us the time of day, a miracle or some wonder of Jesus happened. 
Um, now we're told Jesus making sure his mother gets taken care of. Not everything has to be super spiritual. Not everything has to have deep meaning. Maybe there's nothing to it. We should just skip it. Uh, I, I wonder if the reason none of the other three gospel writers include this in their gospels is they didn't see much significance. But the fact is we're told about it and the scene is actually pretty detailed. John tells us that there were three women standing at the foot of the cross, and he tells us who they were. He identifies each one of them. Also standing at the cross is the disciple whom Jesus loved, and most readers take this to mean John. It was incredibly dangerous to be associated with a man the Roman government believed to be worthy of death by execution. It was deeply dangerous to be following and showing devotion to a man that religion considered to be a heretic. These women show courage. They are fearless. They are devoted. And Mary had been warned that it would not be easy being Jesus' mother. When he was an infant, she and Joseph brought him into the temple according to Jewish law and presented him to the Lord. And when that happened, an old man named Simeon came and met them. And he took that baby in his arms and he blessed him, and then he said this to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And that sword is now piercing her heart as she sees her son dying. Suffering is suffering is always hard to quantify. But my observation in my years as a pastor is that there is no greater pain than a parent who sees their child die. And Mary probably could not understand why this was happening and why her son would be treated like a vicious criminal. But she could love. She is there. She is present and willing to be for her son in that moment whatever she possibly can. Sometimes it's our presence that is the best thing in a time of pain or trial or even death. Sometimes presence is the best love because sometimes that is all we have. There are no words to say. There's nothing else to do. We just need to be there. And there is Mary the foot of the cross as her son is executed. Yes, this shows that Jesus was human. Yes, it shows that he cared for his mother. But after years of thinking about this passage, these words, this is where I choose to plant my feet as to what is happening. When Jesus gives his mother to the disciple whom he loved, and he gives the disciple to his mother so that they belong to one another, he is forming a new family. He is forming a new family. Jesus is starting his church because that's what church really is. It's the family of God. Jesus is church planting. Jesus is planting the new family of the people who belong to him. Because when you become a part of the family of Jesus Christ, you are given to others 
and they are given to you, and you are to love them. That's why they're given to us, to love. I know it seems that churches sometimes are more about programs and bureaucracy and organization, but this third word that Jesus speaks from the cross reminds me that we are really about being the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church is about having a relationship with Him and then having relationships with all those who belong to Him. Now, you need to help me. You need to help me because so often I lose focus of this. And, and, and I think church is about, well, it's about that meeting and it's about making sure the band is ready to go and, and, and getting the right information out and, and administration and budgets. And will you remind me, hey, Phil, you know, the church is about relationships. It's about us. Remind me because most of you are smarter and sharper than me anyway. We've got to th- get beyond thinking about Christianity as only as only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The family of God is a public relationship with Him. It is a public entity. The neighbors see us going to church. And the person in the office, our co-workers say, well, I know, he goes to church. I know he's part of that church over there. And the guests come from out of town, and they know who we belong to, and that on Sunday morning we go to be with the family. Yeah, but our guests don't do church, so we just stay home and cater to them. Well, who do you belong to? And do you want people to know who you belong to? Jesus makes this new family with those who come to the cross. He can't do it for Peter or Matthew. They're not there. All the disciples have run. They've left him. It's only the disciple that Jesus loved and these three women who are there. And Jesus entrusts to each other those who remain, those who are present and not ashamed to be with him at the cross. He makes family out of those who are there, who are there. Now, all the disciples, Judas, of course, except him, all the disciples will return. They'll be reclaimed. Jesus always keeps the door open. He always keeps the welcome sign on for any who have run, who have wandered, And want to return. The return of those who fled from Jesus. Always open. But we aren't in proper relationship with him. When we're not present in his family. Because Jesus doesn't do private tea parties. Hey Joan. Why don't you just meet with me in your condo on Sundays. There's no need to be with my family. I don't like most of them either. We'll just keep our own special connection for however long it suits you. Now, does that sound like Jesus to you? He didn't hang on a cross and form a new family for me to separate myself from it and to do my own thing. One of the great, one of the great songs of the family of faith goes like this. I hope you get to hear it, sing it, learn it someday. It, it, it sings like this. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came, sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life he died. You've probably heard it said that church is 
the one place you'll find people you would never come into contact with or maybe would want to come into contact with otherwise. But because we have this thing with Jesus, we find ourselves belonging to one another. Jesus creates a new family from those who are courageous enough to hang around the cross, despite how uncomfortable it might feel. I don't think it was a good day for those women or the disciples. And he creates a new family from those who are at that cross and who allow him to put us together, who allow him to put us together because we're there as he sees fit, puts us together as he sees fit. In fact, you know, the church is often spoken of in the New Testament, in the scriptures, as the household of faith or the family of believers. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, you're no longer strangers, you are part of the household of faith, is the way that Paul puts it. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul refers to the church of the living God as God's household. Paul writes in one of his other letters that we are to love the family of believers. And in Galatians it says this, listen to this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Romans 8 tells us we've been adopted by God through His Spirit, and we are all children of God. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand under the cross, we get put into a family. Just look look at the person you're sitting next to. Look on the people either side of you. There's your family. There's your family right there. Nancy, Jamie, your sister. Jamie, your sister, Nancy. Dennis, your brother, John. John, your brother, Dennis. Gail, Nate, your son. Nate, your mother, Gail. I'm not saying anything about your age. I'm just trying to... (laughs) Don't don't take that the wrong way. Just look at the people around you. Say, oh, I know some of you got worried look on your face when you started looking around, seeing who's in your family. And I know one of the hardest things about being the church, it's not Jesus. We love him. It's his sons and daughters that make it hard for us, right? And there are problems. But I tell you, when the family is working as it's supposed to be, there's nothing better. When we're loving each other, uh, bearing with each other, serving each other, upholding each other, praying for each other, forgiving each other, that's when we're at our best. And people who have nothing in common otherwise are brought together. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither female nor male. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And it's important to remember that this scene of Mary and the disciples does take place at the foot of the cross. We all stand at the foot of the cross. Your brother or sister in the family of faith stands at the foot of the cross because we are all sinners in need of God's grace, in need of his mercy, in need of his forgiveness. Oh, we struggle with being selfish. We struggle with being greedy. We get moody and we get angry and we say things we shouldn't and we hold grudges. 
And the one on that cross takes us wretches and makes us into a family and gives us to one another. Jesus, help us to do it your way. Help us to get that belonging to you is belonging to your family and help us to love one another. Forgive me for thinking I'm better than the person across the room. Jesus, this family is so important to you that you went through the anguish of crucifixion to get it. And so we respond with our lives, lives that need to be soaked in your blood so that all that is wrong in us might become right and pure. And so we thank you, Lord.